Sri Lanka faces the most serious political and economic crisis in its history. A president forced from office, an economy close to collapse, fuel and medicine in short supply. What are the risks and what's going to happen next? We are advising our clients to be prepared for a deterioration. It's a highly unpredictable security situation. There is the potential for the deterioration. We get an update on the fast-moving situation in Sri Lanka and the latest advice. Sri Lanka's Political Crisis, a new podcast from International SOS. Hello, I'm Paul Osborne. Sri Lanka's slide into crisis has alarmed many around the world. In extraordinary scenes, crowds surged into the presidential palace, an uprising that forced Gotabaya Rajapaksa to not only stand down, but leave the country. The apparent trigger, the collapse of Sri Lanka's economy, leading to huge queues for fuel and shortages of medicine. A new president is now in place, but his appointment triggered fresh demonstrations and a new crackdown on protesters by the security forces. International SOS has been monitoring the situation throughout the crisis, updating clients with the latest information and advice. Ataraj Mukherjee is our security director for information and analysis in Asia, based in Mumbai. And when I spoke to him, he started by giving me the background to the crisis. You know, Paul, it's actually a combination of multiple factors. Sri Lanka has historically been driven by tourism. Obviously, that took a big hit during the start of the COVID pandemic. And if you speak to, you know, economic experts in the country, they'd also point out tax policies of the government. They're not being able to import enough fuel. The crisis, while it's kicked off now, you can go back a few months, the government had banned the import, for example, of chemical fertilizer in an attempt to promote the use of organic fertilizer in-house. That again led to several protests by, you know, farmers groups. And so it's a series of issues that have come together to compound the economic crisis that we're seeing right now. Well, let's explore some of the logistical impacts of the situation, starting with the fuel shortages. Right. So the fuel shortages, like I said, you've got tailbacks of two to three kilometers at fuel stations starting from a couple of months ago. The military have actually been deployed across fuel stations to prevent any unrest. The new resolution to that is the introduction of this national fuel pass, which gives every individual a weekly quota of fuel. Based on the last digit of your vehicle registration number, you get fuel on a particular day of the week. Of course, this brings with it several other challenges in that, you know, everybody does not have a smartphone to display the QR code that you need at these fuel stations to get access to your fuel. So these are all compounding the various sort of operational issues and logistical issues that we're seeing there with regards to fuel. You mentioned there the introduction of this fuel pass scheme, which has only been brought in in the last few days. But we have seen power cuts in parts of the country uh, during this period of fuel shortages. Who has been principally affected by that? Absolutely. Across the country of about two to three hours every day. Typically, these occur in sort of two slots, about an hour, hour and a half in the morning, and then again about an hour, hour and a half uh, towards the afternoon, evening hours. Government hospitals have been very severely affected by this. We're seeing reports of government hospitals actually triaging 
know, non-emergency surgeries, asking people to go to private hospitals. Private hospitals are rel- relatively better because they're able to maintain their own backup generators and things like that. And at International SOS, for example, we've recently done a large project with a client where we were able to home deliver medical supplies to about more than 100, a couple of hundred employees of theirs across the country. But that just speaks to the fact that, you know, access to medical supplies itself is an issue. And it's not just medical supplies, it's the ability to conduct surgeries and, you know, doctors uh, in the public health administration in Sri Lanka have actually, you know, gone on record advising people to quote unquote not get injured uh, because their ability to assist is very limited. Uh, tell me about the situation regarding food supplies in Sri Lanka. Food supplies, again, relatively better off. Uh, you know, indicators of a food shortages would be an outbreak of, of mass looting and black marketing. Now, we haven't seen that. There are limitations, of course, on the food that you can access in terms of imported brands. So you might not get the brand that you want. Prices are fluctuating because of of supply issues, but we're not seeing a shortage of food in itself. That remains relatively uh, less affected right now. And what about the impact on transport systems, on roads, on airports? So that's split into two. The road public transport system is very, very affected with the fuel outages. Public transport has, you know, almost broke down there. We've seen when we've spoken to several of our clients, they, you know, their workforce are not able to come to office because that just isn't the transport to do it. Uh, in terms of flight operations, and that's a critical thing for Sri Lanka. You know, it being an island country, it is the only point of international departure, the Colombo airport. I mean, of course, there are maritime routes, but maritime routes come with their own logistical and safety issues. So far, we've seen flight operations relatively normal, most major carriers are still flying there. They're transiting through neighboring countries to refuel, carrying extra fuel just to offset the potential of landing in Colombo and not being able to access aviation fuel there. But so far, flight routes remain largely unaffected. I should ask too about the impact on communications, on post, on phones, on internet access. Of course. So again, you know, with the power outages, there would be intermittent disruption to, you know, uh, communications. But again, we're not seeing reports of large-scale disruption around that. And, you know, I think what a pretty good indicator of that is the fact that the protests that have been going on, and let's not forget they've been going on for several months, those have been driven by civil society groups using social media. So the internet is, is still fairly functional there. Business operations are being able to operate still without, you know, major outages of telecommunications or the internet. Now, in the last few days, we have seen the appointment of a new president, though that itself has triggered more demonstrations and a tougher response, too, from the security forces. How do you see things panning out in the days ahead? Absolutely. You know, the appointment of Ranil Vikram Singhet as the new president, and you know he was acting president uh, in the interim before the presidential election. Public sentiment against Vikram Singh is not is not very, very positive. The protesters issued a statement, in fact, before the presidential election in the parliament that their demonstrations would continue were Vikram Singh to be elected as the president. Given the police response we've seen on the 21st and 22nd of July, where the military was deployed, protesters were removed, we're going to see potentially you know, a solidification of public sentiment against the administration. So their key demand was for the resignation of the Rajapaksa brothers and, of course, a resolution to the economic crisis. The appointment of the new president and prime minister, who are not particularly popular in the country right now, is definitely going to lead to you know further political and social unrest. Are there any other factors that you think could see the situation deteriorate? Definitely. You know, I mean, if you look, if we see further instances of the military being deployed, if we see the use of 
live ammunition, deaths of protesters. These could be several triggers that could escalate the issue. Or we could see, for example, the reduction in the availability or the appetite of commercial air carriers to service Sri Lanka. That would again be a, a, a very major issue because, like I said, it's the only point of international departure there. You know, worsening shortages of food, fuel, essential medication were these to continue. These would again contribute, you know, compound the crisis. And, and it remains a highly fluid, highly complex situation, of course. But it, there are several triggers that we're looking at to sort of assess how this plays out and what could escalate. Bearing all that in mind, what is your advice for those currently in Sri Lanka? So currently what we're advising to our clients in Sri Lanka is to sort of minimize non-essential movement. We have upgraded our evacuation level to warning, which essentially means that if, while we're not advising imminent evacuation, we are saying that your evacuation plans need to be ready to be implemented in a very swift manner if the situation were to deteriorate. Um, we're advising our clients to maintain you know, strong connections with local assistance networks, their on-ground providers, organizations such as ourselves from a logistical, security, and medical point of view. They need to make sure that they have access to a secure location, you know, with backup provisions to last for at least a standfast period of seven days. You know, these would include food, water, essential medication, cash. We are advising our clients to be prepared for a deterioration. It's a highly unpredictable security situation. There is the potential for the deterioration. Were the situation to, de- to deteriorate, then they might be looking at you know an imminent need to pull their workforce out of the country. And what about those who may have travel to Sri Lanka scheduled? So currently, we're advising our clients to defer all travel to Sri Lanka because of the you know continuing shortages of essential commodities and the violent protests. Uh, we're advising the people who are not already in the country, we're advising that you, you don't go to the country at this point of time, in fact. Adiraj Mukherjee, International SOS's Regional Security Director based in Mumbai, who's been working closely with our on-the-ground in-country network in Sri Lanka. To keep up to date with events in the country, clients can access our regular alerts with the latest information on the situation. But until next time, thank you for listening and goodbye.